Good evening, everyone. Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. I'm reading from <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. That's on page 831 of the Pew Bibles. So Philippians 2, starting at verse 12. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may, I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the Lord and there is no other, we thank you that you will not share your glory with another. We praise you, Lord, that you long for us to know you better, to mature in our faith. And so we commit this time to you now, asking that your spirit would be active and working in each one of us. Lord, give us that hunger and desire to grow and so I ask, Lord, that you would feed us and nourish us richly tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Friends, this is what I want to talk. This is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk to you about the joy, the joy of shining like a star. The privilege that you have of shining like a star in a dark world. I want to talk to you about the great privilege that you have as a Christian of just being different in the world and making the gospel attractive and the opportunity that you might have to bring somebody else to know the Lord Jesus Christ just by shining as a star in this dark world. I don't know whether you've ever got out of the city, you've left the bright lights behind you, and you've headed to the outback, and you sat there as night falls, and it does become utter, utter darkness. You can't even see the hand in front of your face. And then one by one, millions of miles away, there's these stars appear. And you can see them. And they, sort of, they, they, they break the darkness, they penetrate the darkness, they, they just bring a bit of light. And you know that's the picture that Paul uses to describe you, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, living in a dark world. It's there in verse 15 that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to become blameless, verse 15. That means that we are beyond accusation. We're above reproach. No one can point the finger at you and say, you call yourself a Christian, but you're just a hypocrite. God wants us to become pure. He wants us to become set apart and striving for for perfection. God longs for you to to grow in your purity, to grow in your godliness, to become more and more and more like your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're God's children. We, the church, are God's children and we're supposed to be shining like stars in the universe. That, That phrase, shining like stars... It actually comes from Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, where, where Daniel looks forward to a day when God's kingdom will come and God's people will come and they shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn man to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I love it. I, I love that phrase that, that I can be a, a star in this dark world and so can you. Or as Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. You personally can be a light in this world for Christ. It's this beautiful picture of us, God's people, God's children, who can turn other people to Jesus Christ just by being different and shining differently in this world as we hold out the word of life, hold out a word that brings life to people. That's what God desires for us, to shine like stars, to live these countercultural lives bringing glory to God, standing out from this world to grow in godliness. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. As soon as I, I say that, as soon as I say, oh, we're going to talk about growing in godliness and being different, I'm guessing there's a whole spectrum of reactions. Uh, some of you are there tonight excited, energized, saying, yes, Paul, I want to hear this. I want to live differently. And I know some of you will be exhausted and going, not again. You know, I'm trying. I'm feeling weary and way down. I'm just trying. 
And some of you are just confused. Like, why would I live differently? You know, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. What's always about living differently? And my goal tonight is to, to, to hit each one of you if you want, to excite and energize those who are excited and to encourage those who are exhausted and weary and to bring clarity to those who are just confused. You see, the Christian life, it must start with a conversion. If you're here tonight and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a point in your life, a point in your history where you met Jesus Christ personally. And now for some of you, that will be like a, a Damascus Road experience where you know, the, the lights were blazing and wow, utter transformation. For others, it's this, this gradual process where your eyes were open gradually. But at some point in your life, you have to say, Jesus died for me. Jesus forgave me. As Jesus said, you must be born again. And now that was the moment that you were reconciled to God, you had peace with God, you were declared right with your Savior. But it's just the beginning. That's the moment you became a star. But it's just the beginning. We need to learn to, to shine brighter. We need to learn to grow in our godliness. It's that process that the Bible calls sanctification where you become more and more and more like your Savior. That's what he says in verse 15. You may become blameless. You may become pure. He wants you to, to go through that process of being transformed, of being sanctified until you meet Jesus. When I think of sanctification, I, I think of waxwork modeling. It's almost like the day that I was converted 20 years ago for me. No, 21 now. God took hold of me in that lump of wax and said, yep, that's mine. And he spent the last 20 years sort of chipping away a bit and remolding a bit and said, that needs to change and that needs to change. And sometimes that change is massive and sometimes it's really minuscule. But he's just chipping away at me bit by bit to make me more like Christ. It's like we go through our Christian life with a stamp on our head saying, work in progress. Because that's what we are, a work in progress. And that's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. And that's what we're talking about tonight. How we can to grow in our godliness. How we can shine brighter as stars for Jesus in this dark world. So I reckon there's confusion. I reckon there's confusion about growing in godliness. You listen to some preachers and they say, stop trying, start trusting. God will do it. Just sit back and let God do it. And then you podcast another preacher and he goes, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So make every effort to grow in your godliness. And you're going, well, does God do it or, or do I do it? And that's where the confusion comes in. Well, look at this verse again. You continue to work out your salvation. For it's God who works in you. Do we do it? Do we grow in our godliness or does God do it? And the answer is... 
Both. Both and. Let's unpack that. Let's look at your responsibility. Continue to work out your salvation. Uh, that word for work out, it, it's actually the word labor or toil. It's the word of you know, a building site or the sweat on a trading floor. He's saying make an effort. Work hard at your godliness. Look what he said in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, therefore, because of all he's just said, because Jesus made himself nothing, because Jesus took on the very nature of a servant, because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, because Jesus is the name above every name, and because one day we will all bow the knee to Jesus, because of that, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, you're doing well, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, but continue to work out your salvation. Constantly work out your salvation. That sustained, constant, continual, day-to-day, hour-to-hour work that we put in. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He does not say, continue to work for your salvation. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, work to acquire your salvation. You have been saved. It's faith alone, it's grace alone, it's Christ alone. But he says, work it out. Grow in your salvation, make progress in your salvation, so that you may become blameless and pure. It's like exercise, isn't it? I love it when I see somebody who decides to get fit. They don't just talk about it. They change their diet. They put in the effort. They, they go for the run. They go to the gym. They actually do something. And it's the same with your growing in godliness. If you want to shine like a star, shine brighter for Jesus, we have to make an effort. Uh, John Owen has a very helpful phrase. He says, God works in us and with us, not against us, and certainly not without us. God doesn't work without us. He doesn't sort of drag us along kicking and screaming. I heard an illustration about a, a man who was taking his basset greyhound for a walk. You know, basset greyhounds, they've got tiny, tiny legs. Uh, he kissed his wife goodbye. Wife got into the car door, slammed the car door, and the leash of the dog got caught in the car door. Wife drives off, dragging the dog behind her. This little dog running sort of, I don't know, 40 kilometers an hour, faster and faster and faster. And he just gave up, lying on his back, thinking, I can't do this. God doesn't do that with us. God doesn't just drag us along kicking and screaming. He wants you to, to, to enjoy it. He wants you to, to run, to put in the labor, to put in the effort, because you want to grow in godliness. Read your Bibles, Hebrews 12, verse 14. He says, strive, strive for holiness. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, train yourself in godliness. 2 Peter 1, verse 5, make every effort. It's that action that we put in with the right attitude of verse 12, with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that respect, that reverence. I want to grow my godliness because I don't want to offend the God who died for me. I want to grow my godliness because I don't want to grieve the one who's been gracious to me. 
I respect you, God. I worship you, God. And so I make the effort. Let me ask you, why, why do we not make an effort to grow in our godliness? Is it laziness? We just can't be bothered. Now, you've got the work in progress sign out, but there's no progress because you have no intention of working. Maybe it's stubbornness. You actually quite like life as it is. You don't want to be very different. But I reckon it's just that we're confused. We expect God just to grab hold of us and transform us without us having to actually put in any hard work. The way that God changes us is by prodding us and showing us where we need to change and then we have to put in the effort. Don't you find that happens? You come to church and, you know, you hear someone talking about how they're struggling with gossip or slander or whatever it is and you're thinking, yeah, I struggle with that. I need to change that. And there's no point in hearing that there's no point in making a note of that on your little sermon notepads if you actually don't bother to put in the effort to change the way that you speak about people. Now, this year is the year of reaching those that we know. And I've had a lot of positive feedback. That's great. Uh, my mum's not a Christian, or my brother's not a Christian, or that workmate's not a Christian. But it's not just a, a slogan, reaching those that we know. We're asking each one of us to put in the effort, to be bolder in the way we talk about Jesus. I was thinking this week, I wonder how much we as a church would have this massive growth spurt in our godliness and how much brighter we would shine here in Kirribilli if all of us put in the same amount of effort into our Christian godliness, our obedience, as we do put into effort into other areas of our life. That's our responsibility. But look at the flip side. This is the beautiful truth of this verse. I love this verse. Your responsibility, but God's power. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for, because, it's God who works in you. The Bible doesn't say, you know, God did his bit in saving you, now it's all down to you. The Bible doesn't say, God did his bit at making you born again, but it's your responsibility to make sure that you persevere. It says, God's at work. Now, who is this God who's at work? It's the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The same God who gave him the name of every other name. That same God is at work in you by his spirit. That same God is at work in this church by his spirit. Listen very carefully to this. Only God's power can make your godly effort possible. Only God's power can make your godly effort possible. Otherwise, your effort, your hard work will just be depressing and it will be religious works. And the God who began a good work in you, the God who brought you to repentance and faith, he will bring it to completion because God wants you to grow up. God wants you to become pure and blameless. God wants you to become complete in Christ. Now, how does God do that? How does God work in you? By his Spirit, through the Scriptures, and through people. Don't you find that? You're reading the scriptures and you're reading this verse that you've read a hundred times before and suddenly the Spirit is prodding you saying, wow, yeah, 
Or you come to church and you hear a sermon. You, didn't, you weren't even thinking about, I don't know, selfishness, but somehow through a sermon, the Spirit prompted you and said, you need to work on that. Or open encouragement. Someone talks about how prayer changes things. You think, yeah, wow, I hadn't thought about that. And so the Spirit prods you through the Scriptures and by people. Augustine's got a beautiful phrase. He says, God makes us do what he pleases by making us desire what we don't naturally desire. God makes us do what he pleases by making us desire what he might not desire. It happens to me all the time. It's happened to me these last couple of weeks. Last two weeks here at Church by the Bridge, I've received quite a bit of criticism from different people throughout the whole church. And I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm preaching on Philippians where he's talking about harmony and humility and verse 14 about not complaining and not arguing. It's like the Spirit is saying to me, Paul, you cannot preach this unless you're doing it. You can't preach this to the people unless you yourselves are living it. I know maybe God's at work in you right here, right now, convicting you that you haven't been growing, you're stagnant in your Christian life, you're not shining like a star. Please, please, please. Don't just make a note of that on your sermon notepad. Go away, pray, and action it. So you can put the shutters up. It's totally possible for God to be at work. God to be prodding you through his scriptures, prodding you through people, but you choose to do nothing about it. I hope this simple truth will be a massive encouragement. You can shine like a star. How can you do that? God's at work in you, so you have a responsibility to get working. If God wasn't at work, then all our work would just be hard, depressing work. Let's look at an example. I'll ask you a question. If our world really is, as Paul says in verse 15, crooked and depraved, if our world really is distorted and twisted, and he's asking us as a church to shine like stars, what do you reckon the one thing that Paul would pounce on? What would Paul deal with to make sure you're shining like stars in this dark world? Surely he's going to talk about sex, isn't he? Being sexually pure. Or maybe he's going to talk about money and greed. Or maybe he's going to talk about you know, the great divide between the rich and the poor or abusing power or selfishness or pride. As Paul looks at a crooked and depraved world and says, you shine like stars... What's the one thing he's going to pick up on? It's there in verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It's just striking, isn't it? The world's full of grumblers who complain and argue and fight. And the way that we're going to shine as stars in this world is by, by being totally different. No grumbling, no complaining, and no arguing. Look at again verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I really wish the word everything wasn't in there. Do some things without complaining. Do most things without arguing. But no, do everything. That's what God wants for our life as Christians 
He wants us to be these people who just shine as being different because our tone of conversation, the words that we speak, no complaining, no grumbling, no whinging. That word for complaining in verse 14 is that, that muttering word. You know it, where you're in the workplace and the boss comes to you and tells you that there's a new policy for your workplace and you go, that is ridiculous. It's never going to work. I'm not going to be part of that. You hear it in church meetings. Someone makes a suggestion for church. People go, count me out of that. That is stupid. Whoever came with that decision is ridiculous. It's that kind of attitude where you always think that you know best. And so you whinge and you grumble and you complain. It's extraordinary. Why is it that Paul would choose this grumbling, complaining, arguing to make us distinct from the world? I think it's because God's people, God's people have always been grumblers. Do you remember when God's people were rescued from slavery in Egypt? God then brought them across the Red Sea, taken them to the promised land. And what did they do? They grumbled. We've got no water. We've got no food. God, you don't really love us or you provide for us what we really want now. And they questioned God's sovereignty and they questioned God's goodness and they were just deeply, deeply ungrateful. And Paul is saying here that if we, having been rescued through the cross of Christ, heading towards the promised land called heaven, if we're here on this earth... If we as the church got rid of our grumbling and got rid of our complaining and our arguing, then we would become pure and blameless. If we're known as a church, yes, we debate things and yes, we discuss things, but we get rid of that ugly whinging and grumbling and criticizing and complaining, then we might shine brightly in this world. And preparing this sermon, again, I want to put my hand up and say, I can be an expert complainer. I've been really struck this week. You know, I find reasons to justify my complaining. You know, the service wasn't up to much good and I paid for that or that person said they would do that and so I'm in a really whinging complaint. Not, not to them, but to other people. Or we Christianize and we say, oh, I'm really struggling with this person and then we go on to complain and whinge about them. And I think it is an, ec- an epidemic. I really think it's an epidemic. But it is beautiful to spot those people. And you know, yeah, they might question and they might ask for clarification, but their demeanor is one of a positive, how can I support you and encourage you in this? Rather than complaining and arguing. You spot them in the street, you spot them in the post office, you know, the person who's shouting at the person over the counter and the person who's being kind and gracious. And we as a church, even when we've been wronged, when someone says, I'm sorry, we say, that's okay, I forgive you. That attitude, that positive, everything without complaining, everything without arguing, because we trust God. See, our, our world, our world is crooked, it's depraved, it's, it's selfish. My plans, my needs, my desires. And I just wonder whether we as a church could be different. I hear it here in this church. Oh, I don't like the music and I don't like the connect groups I've been put in and 
I don't like this about church, or I don't like the way we welcome, or I don't like the pews. And, and then we really complain, and so we do the muck church, and we just go down to another church down the road, and we're happy there for a while until we find something to complain about there, and then we just move to another church. And let me just say, there are 101 things that we could complain about at this church. No human leader's perfect. We've made wrong decisions, and I'm sorry about that. We've made decisions that we could have communicated better. We've taken people for granted, or we've lacked that pastoral care. Or you can disagree about things that we've preached, or things that we've done. But please, please be careful. Because that epidemic, that attitude of complaining and arguing and grumbling, it will really dim the witness of this church. It stops us shining like stars. It stops us holding out the word of life. How do you avoid complaining? I Google some some top tips. Here's some. Uh, Allow yourself to complain of nothing, not even the weather. Never compare your own lot with that of another. Don't always wish things were different. And they're all nice ideas, but they're just psychological ideas. How is it that we as Christians are going to do everything without complaining or arguing? And the answer? Just understand chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Understand Christ, his humility. Understand his attitude. Be deeply grateful to God for your salvation. Be deeply thankful to God that he is sovereign. Being deeply thankful to God for every opportunity to to partner in the gospel and to preach Christ. Just to rejoice at life. Today I get to live for Christ. Today I get to preach Christ. I was thinking, what, what does my complaining say about God to those who know me? When friends know me, when they hear me whinging and complaining about God or God's people or God's church, what does it communicate about God? And we're called to shine like stars in a dark world and to hold out the word of life, the word that brings new life. And maybe the one area that the Spirit is prodding you on tonight God at work in you. He's pressing the button. He's prodding you. He's saying, stop grumbling, stop complaining, stop arguing. And I'm just challenging you. You can change. We can change. Don't just write it down. Work out your salvation. Put in the effort. Make a difference. So church by the bridge might shine like stars in this crooked and depraved world. Let me pray. I'm going to kick us off in a time of open prayer. And I'm going to leave it to you guys to either come forward to the microphone or just to stand where you are and lead us in a time of prayer. Pray about things you've been convicted of tonight through the word or... Pray for people of Christchurch, people of Libya, of Egypt, or people of Kirbali. So let's kick off.
Father, we, we thank you that you call us, you long for us to shine like stars. What a, a joy and a privilege to live for Jesus in this world. Help us please to do that without complaining or arguing. 